Hi, this is David Flower, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. A couple months ago, I had lunch with uh, a congregant, and sitting across the table from me, this person asked, Pastor David, what is success to you? What does success look like? I think this question was coming out of a place of wondering, you know, um, especially for, for men, getting toward middle age, wondering, is, is this it? Why am I not further along? Why have I not reached a greater level of success? Now, I know this isn't just a middle age man problem or challenge. You can all probably relate to that in some way. You know, because American culture's idea of success, it looks like what? It looks like money. It looks like power. Uh, sort of being at the top of your game, whatever it is, whatever field that you, you're in with work. It looks like influence. It looks like social status or fame. Maybe recognition from your peers, accomplishments, accolades, and so forth. And if we don't have enough of what we think success is, you see, we can reach a certain point in life and think, I must not be successful, and wonder, have I failed, or what's wrong with me? You see, American culture disciples us to seek success and be successful. Have you noticed this? It's even in the eyes of the world, because that's the case, many biblical characters, we might call heroes and heroines of our faith, would not be seen as successful people. We need to come to terms with this and acknowledge that this morning. Take, for example, Noah built a gigantic boat that didn't make sense when there was no rain and preached for a hundred years that a flood was coming and that people needed to repent of their sins. He did that with no converts, (laughs) just to save his family. Or take Moses, who trusted God and eventually followed his calling to lead the people of Israel out of bondage. Only years later, after putting up with all of the Israelites in the wilderness, to be told he couldn't enter the promised land. Or maybe Jeremiah, who in his 40 years of prophetic ministry and telling the people what their problems were and what they could do to avoid disaster, none of them listened. I'd be throwing, thrown in a prison, a dungeon, and in a well, not listened to, 
his ministry ends in seeing the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of God's people. And of course, take our own Lord and Master Jesus, who grew up poor, who lived a life of obscurity for 30 years. Then to have three years of ministry, only one of which he was popular and liked, claimed to be the Messiah, but rejected by his own people and crucified. These are some of the heroes of our faith and our own Master and Lord. And the world, of course, looks at this and does not see success. Clearly, success, though, in the eyes of the Lord is something much different than how the world defines it. Would you agree? It has to be. It has to be. And that's what I want to address today. What does success in the eyes of the Lord look like? And how should we live in light of this knowledge? Pray with me. Father, we open up our hearts and our minds to you right now, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to hear your words your voice above all others. Lord, would you shine a light into the darkness of our hearts, expose that darkness, cast it out, give us clarity and insight that can only come from above, Lord, and set us free, free to love you, free to live a life apart from sin, Free to know the joy and the peace and the love that comes from knowing who we are in you and what it looks like to be successful in your eyes, Lord. Give us that today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Would you open up your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30 for our main scripture text. And as you turn there, would you stand with me for the reading of the words of Jesus? Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'm just going to drop into some of Jesus' teaching, and then we'll come back here in a moment and unpack this a little bit and talk about the context. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again... The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave them five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, You gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. 
Let's celebrate together. Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. The master once again said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate this together. Then the servant with the bag, one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops that you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew that I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now you might be wondering what is going on in this parable. Certainly those last words we read there from Jesus are a bit sobering. We might not want to hear those kinds of words from Jesus, but nevertheless, Jesus spoke them. So what's going on? And what what does it have to do with success in the eyes of the Lord? Well, first, let's reflect on this passage of Scripture with its literary and historical context. Matthew chapter 24 and 25 is considered a literary unit. It's covering the same topic, and scholars, they think of this passage as as the Olivet Discourse. This is where Jesus is teaching and having conversation on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And Jesus has been rejected up to this point, been rejected by the leaders of the religious and political establishment, we could say, of the world. And so he knows and has already communicated to them that he will suffer, die, but ultimately return. And so Jesus, if you, you look before Matthew 24, we see Jesus grieve over Jerusalem's rejection of real peace. And he's walking past, as he's walking past the temple with his disciples, they're admiring the architecture and the grand stones that's used in its construction. Just look at this. I mean, this was Herod's temple. It took over 40 years to build it. And, uh, and they're just amazed at it. And, and Jesus, who's, of course, if you can imagine, a bit upset and troubled that Jerusalem has rejected the peace, his people has rejected the peace that he has offered, he then replies this way, saying that not one stone would be left unturned. It is all coming down, all of it. And the disciples are a bit bothered by this and say, well, hell, what are you talking about? They ask him two specific questions. They say, when will all of this happen? And then two, what will be the sign of your coming? Now, those are two very different questions. 
asking when is the destruction of the temple going to take place and then when are you going to return a second time and establish your kingdom. And scholars have debated what's going on here in 24 and 25 as far as the sequence and the chronology of it because they're two very different questions. And he sort of seems to, it seems as if he's mixing his responses to both within chapters 24 and 25. Jesus speaks to his disciples then about the following in response to their questions. He talks about the destruction of the temple. That is, Judaism as they know it is coming to an end. Uh, He talks about the coming tribulation, that there would be signs of that, war, famine, earthquakes, false prophets and saviors, an increase in sin and wickedness. And then he talks about the end of the age, of this present evil age. It's going to come to an end. So he talks about his imminent and sudden return, even saying that no one knows the day or the hour that that will take place except the Father. Only the Father God knows. And so Jesus issues then a call to be faithful to him above all else as they see these things happen. And at the end of Matthew 24, Jesus begins a parable to illustrate his teaching. In fact, Jesus tells three parables in Matthew 24 and 25 on what to do and what not to do while waiting for his return. And they still apply because we're still waiting for his return. Here's the first one. The first parable he tells of one, uh, the reckless servant, Matthew 24, 45 through 51. You can see that in your Bibles. This is about a servant who misuses his gifts and power and mistreats others. That's not good. The second parable he tells is of the short-sighted, the short-sighted bridesmaids. There are five virgins in this story that are unprepared and asleep at the arrival of the groom, and you'll notice how Jesus inserts himself into these parables. He is the groom who's gone away to prepare a place. You've heard him talk like that before. I go away to prepare a place for you. This is this is a typical um, ancient Near Eastern betrothal, right, where the husband goes away and prepares the house and prepares life for family. And then comes back and gets his bride. So Jesus uses this illustration to say this is what it's like. I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. So he finds some unprepared and asleep at his arrival. And before that, of course, some that are misusing their gifts and mistreating others. And then lastly, the one that we read, the lazy servant. This third servant isn't vigilant in this story. The servant makes excuses, even accusing the master of not being good and isn't a faithful servant. So in this parable, each servant was given, as we read, different amounts based upon the ability of each of them. The first two servants were given more than the third, and they they doubted, or they, I'm sorry, they doubled their investment as they were wise with the master's resources while he was away. So when the master finally returned, he commended them. He commended them. But the third servant took what little he had and did nothing with it. And so when the master asked him about it, this unfaithful servant insults the master and defends his decision not to serve and work while his master was away. And so you recall from our reading, the lazy servant buries his time, his talents, and his treasure. I think that's the way we should look at that. 
the servant buries his time, talents, and treasure. And you say, burying your, your valuables in a hole was actually a common practice in the East to, and is considered maybe the safest possible course of action to keep those things uh, secure. But playing it safe is not the way of the master or his kingdom, according to Jesus. You follow me? So in his commentary on Matthew, Robert Mounts, the New Testament scholar, writes, the point of this parable is crystal clear. The servants of Christ, as they await his second coming, as we all do today, have been entrusted with the responsibility of utilizing the gifts they've been given by the master. And to fail in this critical obligation is to be excluded from the kingdom when Christ returns. That is, that is sobering. But again, it's not to some worldly idea of success, as hopefully you're seeing. It's not to some worldly idea of success that Jesus calls us. Rather, it is to be faithful with the time, money, power, and gifts. That is the very life that we've been given that we would give it back all to the Lord, to use everything we've been given to serve Him. We heard these words uh, to the first two servants who are wise and responsible with their portion, utilize their gifts for the kingdom. Remember what the Master said. And if you've grown up in the church, you're familiar with these words. Well, we've even said that when we face Jesus one day, we hope to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be faithful. If success in the eyes of the Lord is faithfulness, and that's really the question that we should be asking, Pastor, what is what does it mean to be faithful? Well, we need to think about first this context that Jesus is teaching in here. He tells us right after this parable, if you go and look at Matthew 25 and you keep reading after the parable that we read in verses 31 through 46, he says that his sheep who's on his right in this story, as opposed to the goats who are on what? His left, right? Are faithful, his sheep are faithful because they put their belief into action. Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, what? And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And remember, when his disciples asked, Lord, when have we seen you like this? He tells them that they should see him In the least of these, that's the phrase he uses, in the least of these sort of folks, Jesus, that is, is in our needy neighbors, Jesus is in our co-workers and our clients and our family members and that, that uncle at the Thanksgiving table, you may see him again at Christmas, so get ready, right? Our, Our friends, our enemies, it does not matter who it is, Jesus says we should see him in them. Therefore, the good and the faithful servant lives to serve others and glorify the king, not for success in the eyes of the world, not so that we might gain something of the world, but something rather of heaven. I do think there is something 
to be gained. There is a reward, but it's not the one the world can give. So again, this is an urgent matter because we don't know, Jesus says, when the Master will return. So we must be ready. We've got to be vigilant. We have to be on task using our talents and being faithful. Learning to be faithful begins by looking at Jesus himself. Listen to what the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. This is from the message translation. He says, so my dear Christian friends, companions in following this call to the heights. He says, take a good, hard look at Jesus. The NIV says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Right? He is the centerpiece of everything we believe. He was faithful in everything God gave him to do. You see, at an early age, Jesus of Nazareth, we don't know exactly when this happened. It's, it's always fascinating for me to think about this. His, his becoming self-aware of who he was. Jesus becoming aware of his true identity. When he knew who he was and what the Father had called him to do. And nothing would deter him from following through with his calling. I imagine it was, it, it was at an early age, probably around the age of 12. We see Jesus at 12 going to the temple, right? He left the caravan that was heading home. He went back to the temple uh, to be among the rabbis and to be in God's presence there. So maybe it was right around that time. And if you think about that, Jesus is following his calling from 12 to 30, but nobody knew anything about him, and there's not a story to tell about it. Do you ever think of that? <laughs> Jesus was being faithful all during that time. And so when it did come time to step into the baptismal waters of the Jordan and the Spirit come upon Jesus like a dove and send him into the wilderness, he was ready. And he still was doing what he had done the first 30 years, and that's be faithful to the Father. No doubt there were times he endured temptation and trials, hurt and betrayal, even from his own family and friends. We know that from his closest disciples. And he even asked the Father to spare him the pain and the agony of dying. You remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there be another way, because yeah, I really don't want this. I don't want this to happen. But not my will, but yours be done. This is the attitude of Jesus. Not one so much of success, but of faithfulness, isn't it? In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote of Jesus, he said he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God, what did God do? Exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because Jesus was faithful to who he was, who God had called him to be, and what God had called him to do. And so there you have it. It's because Jesus was a faithful servant that the Father raised, exalted, and blessed him. Brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on this Jesus. You see, Jesus used the life that the Father gave him, and he used it for the advancement 
of the kingdom. Not for personal success. Not for personal benefit or uh, to build up his own ego or reputation. And this is what we're called to do as well. Listen to what Peter wrote in his epistle. He said, each of you should use whatever gift you have received from God to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You see, church, we are all unique creations of God. We all have different gifts. We all have different callings. Some have a lot. As we we heard in the parable that Jesus told, some have a lot. Some have a little. But what is most important is what we do with what we've been given. How will we steward our gifts? You see, it's not about competing with others. It's, that's just in our DNA. I, I, I understand that. I sense that in myself, and we have to die to that. So we shouldn't then, since it's not about competing with others, we shouldn't compare ourselves to others, which social media today certainly conditions us to do, doesn't it? You see, if there's any competition, is really with ourselves. It, it, is, it is only that we should be more faithful than we were yesterday. This is what the Lord calls us to. That is the race that Paul said he was running when he wrote to Timothy, which he wrote about at the end of his life. It's what the author of Hebrews meant later when the author said, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Church, do you realize you have a race that's marked out for you? And the Lord wants you to run it. It's about assessing what we have and using it to serve others, all for king and country, that kingdom that is coming, but is not yet. And so let's sum up what we've heard and what the scriptures say about being faithful like this. First, we recognize in being faithful that God created us and has a plan for our lives. We're called to discern his will and surrender to it for his glory. And so we have to consult with the Lord and what does he want with our lives? Also, we must put Jesus before money, power, and accomplishments. We've, we've got to let go of our ideas of success and trust in the way of the upside down kingdom. And in case you've forgotten that upside down kingdom, Jesus said, sounds like this. It's where the first will be last. And the last will be first. We live in this kingdom and we win by serving, not by dying and killing, not by living for self, but by denying it. Does that sound like any any definition of success that the world gives us? Absolutely not. No money, fame, accomplishments, or accolades in this life can compare to the treasure's stored up in heaven. I, I, I remember, I think it was Zinzendorf, uh, a, a, an older saint who said that he, he commissioned other young preachers to preach the gospel, be forgotten, and die. This is really, in a sense, what we've all been called to. This isn't for our fame and glory. It is for the Lord's. 
So we stay focused on who we're becoming, that is Christ-like character, more than what we've done or what we're doing and whether anyone has noticed and whether or not we have a following because we're about maturity, we're about serving others and about bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We must be clear about this. We've got to be clear about this. You see, real faithfulness as individuals and as a church, as a congregation, is evident by the fruit we bear in time and in season. Let me say that again. In time and in season. Faithfulness is revealed in fruitfulness. Faithfulness is revealed in fruitfulness. Remember what Jesus said as he walked with his disciples in that olive grove. He said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And what does this fruit look like in our lives and in our church? Here's the way Paul described it in Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, open up there real quick to our last scripture reading. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And some of you be real familiar with these verses. Galatians 5, verse 22 through 25, Paul writes, After giving us evidence of the flesh and what it looks like when we're living out of the flesh, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And you'll notice in this list of the fruit of the Spirit, success isn't in there. (laughs) We have been called and the Holy Spirit produces within us this fruit. Since we are living, Paul said, by the Spirit, let us follow. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I know what this is like. How many times, especially at, at midlife, you get to midlife, you start thinking about this. I haven't had a crisis yet. I haven't gone out and bought the Corvette or the Mustang. But I, but I internally, I, I ask these kinds of questions that this congregant was asking me. I'm just like you. I think, what would it have looked like had I, had I followed in the steps of some of my family members in the oil field or Union Pacific Railroad? Certainly would have made a lot more money. What if I could have been that actor or, or, or become that rock star? <laughs> and and you, you think about that, and, 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 and even in you sensing a call to do something different, as I did, even at an early age, you can still bring with you these aspirations, these American ideas of success. It's led so many ministers and leaders into all kinds of trouble, looking to other people to meet their personal and emotional needs. So we all can do it. But we all have to, as I said, begin with asking the Lord this question, God, what do you want with my life? Because I know that that's where true happiness and joy and peace and life itself will come from. When I'm right in the middle of your will. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'd rather be 
and a deep, dark hole with Jesus than anywhere else if that's where Jesus wants me to be. Because that's where he is. So we're all on this journey of dying to these aspirations and dying to the ideas of worldly success. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is, you see, far more concerned about your character and spiritual formation than he is about what you can do for him. Do you hear that? Jesus has already done it all. Starting a ministry, building a big business, gaining reputation, growing a large church, polishing your portfolio, it doesn't matter. And see, while there's nothing inherently wrong with those things, listen to me, those things ought to come, if God wills them, as we simply seek to follow Jesus as faithful servants of the coming King. You see, leaving the results and the outcomes to the Lord. And when we're responsible, as we heard in the parable, as we're responsible with a little The master will often give us more. But if we can't be responsible with a little, then we can't be responsible with a lot. You see, I really worry about those who have been on the fast track to what the world would call success. Not paying the price, not spending time in that dark well, not having our character shaped and formed. Brothers and sisters, I can say this, I believe with personal experience and conviction that if God was to answer some of those prayers for success, I would not be where I am today. You would not be where you are today. The Lord gives us what is best because he gives us what we need when we need it. You see, and when we do this, when we give up our life, Jesus said, to save it, we receive the very life of Jesus. That's when, that's when we can access his peace, his joy, and his freedom. Not when we finally get that thing. If I could just have that, then I would be content. Then I would be successful. Then I could feel good about myself. But listen to what the Lord is saying. That's not how we access peace, joy, and freedom. Freedom from the pressures. This is what Jesus wants to give us. Freedom from the pressures and anxiety that comes with trying to prove ourselves and our worth. Freedom from trying to be successful and make our mark. Will you let Jesus give that to you today? Instead, we get to, see, we get to lay down the burden of success. So that we can freely receive God's best for us as we trust in his wisdom and his way over our own. Amen. I hope that you're hearing this. And I hope you're hearing this from the Lord as he tailors this message for you. Here are some questions to help us reflect on what the Spirit is saying to us and help us respond together. Number one, what drives your choices with things like your job and your career, your relationships, whether you're single or whether you're, you have a partner, how you use your time, your talents, and your financial resources. What drives your choices? And are you seeking God's will for your life? Just reflect on that question for a moment. 
Be honest with yourself. What drives your choices? Number two, are you getting your identity from being loved by God as a disciple of Jesus or from some version of success in this life? I know that can be a hard question to ask and even harder to answer truthfully and honestly. But I encourage you to do it as you make your way to embracing the Lord's identity for you, the Lord's calling for you. Are you getting your identity from being loved by God as a disciple of Jesus? Always think about when Jesus did step into those waters and John the Baptist recognizes him as his cousin, as the Messiah. It just all becomes clear to him. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. And do you remember what the voice says? This is my son, my beloved, the one in whom I'm well pleased. And this before any teaching, any miracle, any doing of anything, but living a faithful life of obscurity. We are invited to know that for ourselves, church, and be set free by it. To live out of the Lord's favor, which can't be earned, but is a free gift of God. Lastly, number three, how is the Lord inviting you to let go of your own idea of success so that you can be faithful and fruitful? Father, we need your help in being honest to answer these questions. Lord, I know the drive to want to accomplished to want to be somebody to want to leave a mark a legacy or whatever no matter who we are lord or what season of life that we're in whether we're 18 or 80 it does not matter lord help us to be honest as we examine our own hearts And God, may we lay down our ideas of success, our accomplishments, our accolades, influence, power, whatever it is, help us to lay it at the feet of Jesus so that we might exchange it for faithfulness. Lord, that we might know your love, that we might know your peace and your joy and your freedom. God, that we might truly know contentment. Holy Spirit, your servants are listening. Will you speak to us now so that we could be quick to do what you're calling us to do? In Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.